Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. One man who's very much part of the furniture in the national hunt scene and has been now for over two decades with consistent success and he's been joining us this morning but has rejoined us to chat about life, the universe and everything is slab trainer Tom George. Tom, great to see you again um, and thank you for being with us. I hope it's not been too traumatic so far. No, we've been fine once we've arrived here uh, through the wind and rain. And I said you're, you're, you are kind of part of the furniture now. Do you, do you feel firmly ensconced, established and this is the way life's going to be for, for the rest of time or, or are there, is there any sense of ambition and ambitions yet to be fulfilled? Yeah, it's interesting. I've kind of reflected on driving up here today. Oh, Christ, I've been at this for 27 years now. So probably started when I was quite young, and it's been a long old process. Um, first sort of four or five years, I only had five or six horses. Um, and the safe my wife said on the thing, he said, it hasn't been overnight. <laughs> but anyway, we've got some very good horses now, and we're happy the way it's going. But it was, it was fairly successful quite quickly. Just to, tell me about the early days and what you were hoping for, what your aspirations were. Were you, were you thinking on a grand scale then or not? Well, actually, I was, um, spent most of my sort of working um, time in Newmarket. Mm. And I was more qualified to train flat horses than I was jumpers. And I couldn't quite weigh out how I was going to achieve any of it. So um, without any finances behind me, but father farming... I thought the best option was trying to learn a bit about the jumping, so I went to a couple of yards, big yards, I might say, to learn as much as I could, and um, started off just with three or four cheap horses for mascot sales. I could see that was the only way it could work without the finances or a big backer and everything else, and luckily or thankfully, um, we produced a few good ones on those first few horses, and it just slowly, slowly ticked along from there, really. So who had you been with in, in Newmarket originally? Well, my main stint was with, actually, was with Michael Jarvis, who mm. was was the best of his generation as far as I can see and as far as I know. Um, Certainly one of the most respected. Yeah, he was a great trainer to work for and an important part of my career as well actually. I often think back to what he would have done in these situations even though totally different disciplines. Um, I also had had a stint at the National Stud, Gavin Pritchard-Gordon, British Bloodstock Agency. So I had a fairly good grounding for the flat world and then I needed to learn a bit about the jumping. But, but was there no sense of you thinking, well, I've learnt all this about the flat, this is where I should be going? Yeah, but I couldn't see how I could do it. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't train a flat horse around a, a field in Slad and Gloucestershire, whereas mm. I knew you could train a jumper and could slowly build up from there. So it was the only option I had, probably. I would have, at the, at the time, I would have much preferred to have gone into a big yard in Newmarket, but that wasn't going to be, so I had to make my own way. And am I right in thinking Robert Cowell was one of your good early friends back in the, yeah, back in the day and still is. Still is. I um, see a lot of Robert. Yeah, we spend a lot of time together. We worked at Gavin Pritchard-Gordon's together, speak regularly, come to stay with me a lot. Um, no, we had a lot of fun in Newmarket and we learned a lot at the same time. I'm sure you did. I guess you were lucky to have him there to, to keep you on the straight and narrow. Straight and narrow, yeah. <laughs> I think he might have sent me in the other direction, actually. Um, no, we had a lot of fun. I don't need to say too much more than that, but it was a good time we had. Um, and, yeah, it was great memories. And coming back home from, from Newmarket, as you said, you, you had the family farm there, and that's where, you could, that's where you could train horses. You went to Ascot Sales. What did you come back with? Well, one of the first horses I came back with was Newton Point, actually, who... Um, Gavin Pritchard-Gordon used to train, who I knew about, obviously, from when I'd been at Gavin's and kept a close eye on it. And I knew what all his problems were in Newmarket, so I thought straight away, right, he's the first one we're going to buy. Mm. I think we paid 3000 or something like that for him, top of the range at that, that time. And um, he won my first season at Cheltenham, and he just, you know, what we did work with him, 
and it proved that we could do it. So then we, the next year we had six or seven. So we just had to slowly build away like that. And, and how well equipped was the place for uh, a big yard at the time? Oh, no, it wasn't. I mean, it was three stables, four or five stables. Father had always had point-to-pointers and hunters and all that sort of thing. So we had that. There was no gallops. Um, but you could just had to make it work. And I could still make it work if I had that again. Um, you just got to get the best out of what you've got and work around what you've got and fr- put in front of you. And, you know, after five years, we put in a small bit of an all-weather gallop and then and just kept on improving the whole time. And how easy did you find the other side of the game, which is getting owners and you know, essentially selling yourself? Was that something that came naturally to you or not? No, probably not. That was probably been um, probably the hardest part of it. I was always most important part for me was probably getting the results, and it still is, actually. Mm. Um, had to produce the right horses on the right day. Some people, you know, they'd love to be in London in the nightclubs and all the rest of it. don't think I have a t- quiet time, so I don't. I enjoy it, but probably not the biggest seller there ever was. Some people say that helps me a bit, I don't know. But, um, so that's probably, I've had to be, you know, it's all come through results and being straightforward and hopefully doing the best I can. And so how many would you have now? We have about 80 in the yard, probably slipped down a little bit at the moment. Um, I've never been worried about numbers particularly. Um, if something's not coming up to, up to scratch and we've done all we can with it, we move them on. Um, I like to think we don't leave any stone um, unturned with them. There's probably room for some more, um, but you know it's ticking along well with and we have got some very high-class horses. Did you say you said it wasn't an overnight sensation, but you were training Cheltenham winners by the by the turn of the millennium. Um, Galileo, famously, not that Galileo, the other Galileo, winning the the Sun Alliance hurdle for you. Uh, had you already by that point figured out that that this was going well enough to be sustainable? Yeah, I mean, very much so. Um, I always said so two things were, um, once the children finished <laughs> schooling, I'll have a review of the situations. So that was my first drive. I had to put them through school. Um, and I wasn't going to put any money of my own in it, which I didn't have any anyway. So it had to sustain itself. Um, and since then, actually, it's changed a lot that the racing keeps the farm going, but the farm keeps the racing going. And we've got a couple of holiday lets and things like that. So it all looks after each other. So... I think we're in a good place now. So from a business point of view, it was, it was going well, and that's first and foremost how you have to look at it. But from a results point of view on the track, at what point did you think, yeah, this is working? This is, this is a, a viable business? I never had um, any doubt of my own ability to do it, mm. but obviously a lot of other people probably did. Um, and I think it's just when you started getting the first graded horses through, you just go through all these different phases in your training yeah. careers. Start off with, can you train a winner? And then once you achieve that, then you've got to say, can you do it two or three years in a row? So you can achieve all that. And the next sort of big step is, can you train a good horse or mm. get a good horse? And the problem is the good horses don't get presented to you. You have to find them, and they have to find their way to you. So it's a big, you know, a lot of steps you've got to come up. So um, which was the first one you thought, right, I've got a good one here. This is a special horse. Oh, God, there's, it's a long time ago now, but there's been some good ones through there. Um, probably the, the first, no, I had some graded winners, but the one who, the only, virtually the only horse who came to me who I thought was a champion the day he arrived was a horse called Tom Messini, actually, he was killed at Newbury. He was going to be grade one the whole way through, whereas all my other top horses started with small beginnings. They started as, as low-grade handicappers and just kept on improving and improving. So he was the first one, I thought, from the day he first stepped foot in the race, I thought, this is the, what we've been waiting for. Just because he exuded class in everything he did. Well, yeah, he was. You know, he, he won his graded races straight away. He was a character. He was bloody difficult. Um, 
he had his mind of his own. He was by Dr. Massini, who didn't used to come out starting stalls periodically. And he had his own mind as well, but he was a very, very talented horse, which was different, and still is different, to a lot of the other ones we've got and have had. You mentioned Nakara earlier in the programme. He's certainly a great favourite of mine, and, and I'm sure a lot of people's, just because of the way he, the way he went about his business. Uh, on his day, when he had his conditions, he was a mighty hard horse to beat. Um, absolutely wonderful horse, and he's a testament to a lot of the people who've worked for me for all these years. He arrived with us rated 118, I think it was, from France. Um, Tony Dobbin rode him in his first race at Wincanton, and he was rated, as I said, he was rated that that day. He said, this is a graded horse. So we, Tony was a good judge that day. He had £50 in hand <laughs> transferred. And we used to think he liked soft ground because it was soft the day he won at Wincanton. But oh, he was a fantastic horse to train, and it was, um, we had a great time with him. Simon Clark, his owner, has been a great, very loyal supporter of mine, and we had some wonderful days together. And that, as I mentioned earlier, that day at Kempton, he was electric. He was great. Um, as I said, uh, before, Kempton was a big part of my life um, mm. in the racing world, and that good ground, you just loved it around there. And it's special when you can get a horse who likes Kempton. It does. You had many, you had many great years uh, associated with Jason Maguire when he was really finding his feet as a, as a rider. You sort of essentially produced him, and he helped to, to make you. It was one of those great partnerships of the time. It, it didn't end great, but it, it, was, it was great while it lasted. Yeah, it was interesting. We get on very well with Jason. He actually lives two miles from me now, and I send, do a lot of work with him. Um, yeah, Jason and I have probably only had about a dozen horses at the time, and I thought, God, you know, we're going up the ladder a bit now. We need our own jockey. And Jason had a good record in Ireland, but there was a few things behind it as well, which he was a wild guy. And still, well, no, he's tamed down a lot now. Actually, <laughs> you can't call him a wild guy now. <laughs> no, he's tamed down. <laughs> Lauren, his wife, done a good job with him. But we had some great times. He rode my first um, Cheltenham Festival winner. And the stories go on for a very, very long time with Jason. And we, we've got time. <laughs> he's a very, very talented rider. Unbelievably tough guy. When Jason didn't get up from a fall, straight away you knew it was bad. Probably is one of the toughest guys I know, actually, from a, from a jockey. He, he, if he didn't get up, it was very, very bad. Um, and he was a hard guy as well, tough, and he was a great jockey. And it did go, he was very ambitious, I was, and we had our little sort of parting of the thing when things weren't going quite right for me. But we, we were talking earlier, weren't we, with Gavin Sheehan, and he was talking about his, when, when Warren Greatrex found him and he found Warren, they were both, at, just that they hit the sweet spot together. And it struck me that that was a bit like you two. Yeah, very much so. We, um, as I said, we had a great time. And then when things, when you take a dip, it's a question of how everything plays itself out. Yeah. Um, and it's normally people pushing you from different angles which cause it rather than actually yourselves. Um, and it took its toll and it took a year or two for us to get on again. We get on very well now. And um, as I said, we see each other quite a lot. He's my next door neighbour. And so... He he essentially left you rather than the rather than the other way round. He sort of went and took a <laughs> I think different. He offer. left me, but I probably wasn't particularly polite, so he weren't very welcome back either. But anyway, no, we got through all that. It was you know it was he was young. I was a great deal younger at the time as well. But both of us were fairly hot headed. I would have thought, and um, we worked our way through it. Are you are you hot headed now still or not? No, I can. I think I'm all right now. Actually, my staff <laughs> probably say differently. Now, I can probably take a, a crisis better than. Just a little thing will irritate me more than something which I need to really sort of get my head around. I can I can cope with pretty well. I would have thought. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I can't remember you ever getting really cross, but I, I can remember the odd time where you've you've 
staunchly defended one of your horses or, or just a tiny little thing somebody said has really got under your skin? Yeah, probably now I've learned to say, say little, probably. <laughs> um, I think it's probably the best way. I said a few things early on. I've always regretted it, so if in doubt, I'll say zero. And in terms of just enjoying the day-to-day business of training, do you get a deeper, richer satisfaction from it now than you did in the early days, do you think? I wouldn't have said so particularly. Um, I think it's, it's like everything. To be in the profession I'm in, you've got to be competitive. Mm. Underneath it, I am very competitive, even though I might not come across it sometimes, but I am. And so as soon as you've got one thing, you want the next. And it's just it's a never-ending chain. So if I look back and where we are now from the day I started, yeah. it's come a very long way, but I still need to go a bit further. You've trained a lot of winners. You've trained a lot of big race winners. You've trained a lot of graded winners over a consistent period of time. So there's no doubting your place, as I said, in the, in the firmament. But after that Cheltenham Festival winner, you then had to wait an eternity for another one. How much did that really get to you? didn't get to me at all. It got to everyone around me. I just couldn't, I just, well, I won't say what I felt about it. Everyone else got very hot and bothered mm. about it because it, during that period, I think we had grade, well, we'd won the Melling Chase, the Martel Cup at Aintree. We'd had winners at Punchdown. We had winners everywhere. And I'd be quite happy to miss Charlton again with some of the horses this year and go back to Aintree and Punchdown. So people don't really take that on board but I'm quite happy to do so again I will do so again if I think that's the right thing to do so a lot of other people got more worried about it than I did I would have thought well we used to mention it every day because it was one of those things wasn't it it was a Cheltenham is such a big industry it's such a big part of the sport and it's such a big build up to it that it's just one of those ready or take it off the shelf you know, people who haven't trained them all. What, you, you know what I'm, you know I what I'm know, getting exactly. at. That's so, probably why I didn't turn up to all these press things, because <laughs> um, I knew it was the same old question again. Of course, it is a very big part of um, national hunt yeah. racing. Especially when it's on your doorstep. When it's on your doorstep. But if I had the horses who weren't going to win at Cheltenham, I wasn't going to mm. jeopardise them winning at Aintree. And I've always had self-belief in putting them in the yeah. right races. I had a big stint in France when we won a grade one in France. Um, that was probably one of my biggest achievements as a trainer. Um, but majority of people in England wouldn't have known about it. So, and I agree, that's probably why it's been a slightly slower progress. I didn't sort of say, right, we're going to Cheltenham, we're going to Cheltenham. I wasn't running horses there for the fun of it. And so I was gearing on other things, but I'm proud of what we achieved at the other tracks mm. at the same time. Mm, absolutely, and, and so much to be proud of. The Somerville Boy and Black Op ran 1-2 the same year in the, in the Supreme Novices and the, uh, the Ballymore Novices hurdle, uh, both by an unfashionable stallion at the time, Sand Mason, both owned by, by Roger Brookhouse. Did you feel with, with those two arriving at the same time that, that perhaps things were, were kicking up a gear again? No. Um, they were two lovely horses to have and I was delighted for them to arrive in the yard, but it didn't start off at setting the world alight. Some little boy got beaten around Stratford, mm-hmm. I think, once or twice. It took a long time. He was a wild horse. Hard to get, you know, get him sort of channeled into what he should be achieving. He was always very talented. And um, Black Op, Op didn't actually sort of... Well, he won his first bumper for us, and I thought he'd probably be, be a very good horse to beat him that day, but we've had a lot of good horses beating him bumpers. So, But we always thought, you know, highly of the power of them, but they weren't the sort of grade one horses on the day they arrived. So what of Somerville Boy now? He's been chasing. It didn't necessarily work. He's come back over hurdles. He ran a fine race last time. This is him in the Supreme, and... He must have an enormous engine to be able to do that two out and then at the last and to still win a race like that. Unbelievably tough horse. Um, very talented, but tough and he just keeps, doesn't know when to give up. I think that's his 
that's his motto. He's a, he's a strange horse as well. When he first arrived with us, he, ha it's very, he's, he was highly strung and he needs to go out in the paddock every day. And the first hardest thing was to catch him with coming in out of the paddock. And then next morning you couldn't catch him in the stable. We had all that carry on with him, mm. but he's changed enormously now. He's like, he's like a pet and he's first one to come and say hello, whereas before he was very, very long way from that. So do you think there are, are still big, big days in him? Do you think he can get right back to the top? I very much so. I mean, his run behind um, Paisley Park last time, beating the length, his first try over three miles, he's, we always thought he'd get three miles. We were pretty positive. Certainly he'd get three miles, but it's always nice to see. Mm -hmm. And he can carry on improving on that. He's not going to be his best first time over three miles. We can only get better. And as for Black Op, what's, what's his next challenge going to be? Well, his been a revelation this season. His jumping has been fantastic. A lot of people put a great deal of work in, into him. Johnny Burt's put a lot of work into him. Henrietta Knight has. Roger's done a lot, you know, behind the scenes. There's been lots, lots of things which have been put together for him, and he's, he's really improving now. He's formed last season behind Lost in, Trans Lost in Translation, mm. definitely to say that Cheltenham was as good as you get, having smashed you everything. Probably didn't, probably didn't realise quite how good it was at the time, did no, you? No, he didn't, but it's probably worked out for the right thing. He was a novice for this season. Um, Kempton last time, probably Trap might have been sharp enough for him. Um, came out of it very well, he's had a nice break now, and he'd be ready for the spring festivals. But if I dare say, he may, may miss Cheltenham, may go to Aintree, we haven't decided yet. Roger will call the shots on that. That's Roger Brookhouse, one of your, your big owners. Um, Roger's had horses around the country with just about everybody, but he, he and you have actually gone back quite a, quite a way now. Yeah, Roger's been a... He's, yeah, he'll be watching this now. So. Um, Roger's had horses with me for, for quite a few years mm. now. Um, he's been very loyal to us, and we've had some great times together, and um, we've had some big days, we've had some disappointments, but the most important thing, when things have gone wrong, everything's stepped the same and um, stayed the same, and we just keep looking forward to another good day together. I mean, do, do you get affected much by owners who come and go and come back again, and, or do you just try and stay as level as you can? Try and stay as level as we can, but there seems to be a lot of come, but... More often than not, they come back, which has probably got to be a good sign. Um, have you had quite? A, you've had quite a few boomerangs, have you? Uh, we've had a lot of boomerangs over the years because you know, as, um, sometimes the grass might be a bit greener, and very often it might not. So, but uh, I've got some great people who've had horses with me for a long time as well. We've had everything, mm. and so I've just got to take each day as it comes. I think on that department. How do you feel about the sport as a whole now? Do you feel more positively about the sport as a whole now, or not? Not particularly, actually. Um, I mean, it's an old, old story about this prize money situation, but we were looking through um, when I started training. It was in 93. I mean, we won a race the other day, and I think it was worth £1,500 more than that year when I'd won in it in 93. 93. And the training fees have gone a great deal more than that, and everything else has gone. So something's got to happen. It can't, it's not sustainable as it is, I don't feel. Where do you think we're failing? Where, where do you think the areas of inadequacy are? Uh, you're going to get me with a topic I probably should have my depth in. But Nick Ross came to see me a couple of weeks ago. Really interesting, and I enjoyed it. And he spoke, it's, you know, we got on well, and he said a lot of things I wanted to hear. And the most important thing is the prize money situation. I wouldn't be the man to put it, put it right how we can regenerate it, but it's got to. Uh, whose responsibility do you think it is? Where do you think the responsibility lies? Well, I think the, probably the where it all went wrong was in the 70, 60s and 70s. Um, and it needs a very clever man to sort the situation out. But 
I'm sure they will do, but they've got a lot, lot of work ahead of them. So I guess that, in part, is why you're, you're very keen to support the, the new tote from what you were saying earlier on. Yeah, very much so. I mean, they, I've had my own views on a lot of things, and I keep, keep them to myself, and I haven't got involved with all the bookmakers and all the rest of it. But when I saw the tote coming along, I thought, this is actually something which does need supporting, because this could make a difference probably to the next generation more so than myself. Um, and I think that's where we've got to really push forward now. So have you put your money where your mouth is? Have you, have you invested? I've still got no mo- more money than <laughs> when I started trading. Probably, well, not less. I'm still the same, zero. But, um, so I <laughs> wasn't the first person going to call up. But we'll do what we can to help. And how are you going to do that? Well, as I said earlier, Noel's been doing some videoing for them, um, for horses build up to Cheltenham. And I think if I can promote them, mm. I will do so. And you mentioned Noel, your son, who's, who's ridden quite a bit as well as, a, as, a, as an amateur. Uh, is, is there going to be a natural succession, do you think? Uh, he's only 20, so he's got a long way to go. Um, Seems to have been around a while. He has. Um, he left school with as good a grade you could get. At, well, not far off as good as you could get with A-levels, but he had it in his mind he wasn't going to go to university, and he stuck to it. He's been... Um, I sent him up to Smart Prescott's when he was 15 um, for a summer holidays and actually stayed with Robert Cow. So he had to bicycle in at 4.30 in the morning to Smart. So I thought, if anything will put him off it, this is it. <laughs> six miles up from six mile bottom to Newmarket at 4.30 in the morning. But didn't put him off. So I suppose we've got to go over the flow of that. He um, loves the jumping, loves riding, but he's very much geared towards the flat world now. He was in the States last summer. And he's going off to Australia this summer, and I think then he wants to go to a flat yard. He's got to learn a bit about it all now, that side of the industry. But I think that's where he wants to be going. So do you think, in a sense, you can see a lot of your 20-year-old self in him, but he might have the opportunity to, 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 to work with the flat horses, whereas you didn't see that opportunity at the time? Well, yeah, he's in a lot better situation than I was in. I mean, he was giving out to me the other day, and I said, actually, from where you're starting off, you should be champion trainer from where I started off. So, yeah, we've got, he's, yeah he has definitely um, got an advantage there. But I think it's good if he... I think the flat can run well with the jumping now, and I think it's important too. So we need to have another string to the bow now. And is it always the father and sons we get on very well, but it's, it's good that he knows... That, more about what up to date what he's doing mm. than you know in the flat world than me. So he's got to learn a bit about it now. And if he can bring that to the table, great. And bring a new outlook to everything. And you I'm, need that little bit of creative tension as well, don't you, to kind of push things forward? Oh, very much so. Yeah, of course you do. Um, you know, everyone's right and wrong at home, and all the normal things which go with it. But um, it'd be great if, as I said, he could just bring a different dimension to the whole the whole business. And isn't it a sign that? You know, him growing up entirely immersed in that environment, that things must have gone at least okay, or at least have, at least have provided a pretty happy atmosphere for, for your, your kids to want to, to follow in your footsteps. Yeah, well, see, then the younger son, Archie, he's up at Newcastle University, has a completely different outlook. He's only interested in actually owning a horse. You don't see <laughs> well, him that's at, not so bad. <laughs> you don't see him at 6.30 in the morning, but you'll see him in the Guinness tent and when the betting starts and all the rest of it. But he, so he has a different outlook and... Um, He's studying biology at university. He's, he's good at maths, and he's a he's a figures man actually. So um, they're all they're both very different, but um, and they're both actually trying to make do what they can to make the business go forward. It sounds like you've got all the bases covered. Well, as good as we could do at this stage, but there's there's always the odd telephone call you're not <laughs> expecting.
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albastia Cruel Dubai.